This show is a proud member of the Nerdy Legion Podcast Network. Get more at nerdylegion.com. Enjoy the show. What's up, Paul? I'm ready to talk about the greatest comic book ever written. What? Yeah. Which one's that? Uh, I didn't have a quick answer for that. <laughs> I was going to say something clever, but I wasn't prepared. <laughs> Ah, uh, shame on you, Paul. This is the Valiant Central Podcast, Paul. Episode 134. And you know what we're talking about today, Paul? Uh, let's see. We're going to talk about how I want to read Gotham by Gaslight. Oh, yes. That's so good. Yeah, I love I love Magnolia. I'm surprised you haven't read it as much as you like Magnolia. Yeah, and I've seen it, but, you know, I just can't always buy what you want to buy. I ought to just uh, order from the library to read it. But mm. I did see that uh, it, it must be a more recent release. Um, but DC has a hardcover collection of uh, like Mike Mignola's take on the DC universe. The book was wrapped in plastic, so I wasn't able to see if it's like just a collection of his art or if it's like the stories he he illustrated. But that's pretty tempting, especially if it contains Gotham by Gaslight. So I got to look into that more. Nice, yeah. Good stuff. So uh, we should preface, we don't normally do this, but we're going to start this episode with our non-patented spoiler pause. Yeah, that's right. We stole somebody else's stuff. Get over it. We are, uh, we're talking. Whose stuff did we steal? <laughs> that's uh, VCR. They do their patented spoiler pause. Ah, uh, okay. So we're See, doing, I, I, don't, I don't know because I don't listen to any other podcasts. We're, we're going to do our unlicensed spoiler pause. To our generic ripoff. Yes. I'll send you your three cents, Chris. Don't worry. Um, Chris actually had a... Canadian, that's only a penny, so... (laughs) A fraction of a penny, maybe. Chris Chris wanted to come on, but uh, the schedule didn't work out. um, Because we were going to record last night. You got busy. I got busy. Uh, We're going to record tonight, but then I got busy, and then I can't record the rest of the week. So we're doing this uh, early morning. For most people, for Paul and I, we'd already been up like uh, eight hours. But uh, it is early morning, so we're talking Harbinger Renegade number five. If you haven't yeah, read well, it, if you haven't read it, just uh, go away. If you don't care about getting spoiled, stay along. If you have read it, I know I've talked to some people about it. Paul, you have talked to some people about it. So before we get to the spoilers, so if you're still listening, I'm going to give you a little taste of something that's non-spoilery, but then after this, you should probably, you know, go away for a while, read the comic book, and then come back. So have you ever seen, uh, it was it Alien vs. Predator? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I, I saw that in the theater when it was in the theater because a group of friends went, because I could care less um, about... I mean, both franchises are like, you know, eh, they're entertaining, but like, it's not my thing. And I really could care less about a really crappy crossover years after they actually mattered. Sure. Um, but so I went with a group of friends to have fun. And right behind us was this guy that before the movie started was just like, this better be good. But wait all summer for this. This is good. You know, the, the, I mean, he basically was saying like his the quality of his summer hinged on his enjoyment of this movie. Uh, so he's going into it with ridiculous expectations and obviously if you're acting like that, it's because you know, it's not going to live up to your expectations. So, you know, that, that's kind of the start of it, but the movie starts, the guy won't fucking shut up. 
<laughs> he keeps on grumbling about the movie. Finally, one of the guys that we were with gets up, turns around, and says, would you shut the fuck up and just watch the movie? Hmm. Turns out the guy that he yelled at was very large. So uh, <laughs> we're lucky that he was actually an okay guy because he actually, after the movie, he went and got the manager. He got um, like readmittance tickets for my friend who yelled at him, basically, and he apologized. So he was cool about it after the fact. But the fact of the matter was, like, not only did he go in with those ridiculous expectations, which, whatever, individual experiences, that's up to you. If you want to have those expectations, fine. If you want to complain about it, uh, there's a right way and a wrong way to do that. And that's what it comes down to is he went into it affecting other people's ability to enjoy it. I went into this movie not expecting it to be very good, but just to enjoy the experience. And that generally is how I approach If I'm going to read a comic, if I'm going to watch a movie, that's how I'm approaching it because I don't have time to waste on saying this isn't going to live up to my expectations, so I'm going to watch it so I can be miserable about it. Mm -hmm. uh, so when other people do that, I don't have any patience for it. I don't have patience for people that have to subjectively affect somebody else's experience just because. I mean, there's no reason for it. No reason at all. So that's the non-spoilery commentary on kind of what we're all looking forward to from uh, people's comments on reading uh, Harbinger Renegade number <laughs> five today. So so with, with your preface, I'll do my preface. We, we got the book early. When we get it? Thursday, Friday? I don't even know. Sometime last week. Uh, I read it. You read it. You were very – well, you were positive about it because, uh, you know, we're, we're trying to be a little more positive. There's a lot of negativity on the interwebs, and uh, we just want to be a little more positive, especially when it comes to Valiant because we all know how Valiant fans can be. I read it. I hated it. I talked to you about it. I talked to a couple other people. Um, I had some people message me privately and uh, express their concerns. But, spoiler alert, I'm not doing that tonight, Paul. Or this morning, I guess. I'm so used to recording at night. <laughs> I'm not doing that this morning. Uh, I'm actually going to be uh, I'm gonna be positive about this. And I will say this. Even though on my first read, I absolutely hated this book, I read it again this morning. And I actually really, really dug it. So, to go along with Paul's thoughts, if you uh, experience something and you hate it, maybe you should give it a second chance and look at it with fresh eyes. So, yeah. Before, one more thing then I, off of that before we get into the spoilers. So, some of the people you talked to, I actually independently also talked to. Mm -hmm. um, I know one was, uh, was uh, uh, Travis? Yep. Yeah, Travis. Um, so, one was Travis because I saw him... I think it was Sean posted in the, the OTV group and Travis just made a kind of generic comment about looking forward to discussing it. So I sent him a private message and said, what are your thoughts? So, you know, and then we, we went back and forth and that was before you told me that he actually messaged you. Yep. Um, I also, before I talked to Travis, I messaged Sean to see what he thought. The reason I messaged both of them is because I knew that they would discuss it and not just, overreact to everything yes um so in both cases i think i left both of them feeling more positive about it while still discussing the the negative aspects that there were to discuss yes so discussion is a great thing like if you feel negative about something discuss it but how you approach it can impact other people so if you're just going to be negative and shit on it that's when you should probably just you know 
Step away. Like that, that's not helpful to anybody. Like let other people experience it first, and then, then after the fact, whatever. But you know, I mean, when something just came out, like when when we got the preview PDFs, you were posting negative stuff on it before I even read it, and I basically told you to shut up till I read it, and yes. <laughs> then we could discuss more. You know, mm-hmm. that's kind of what you got to do. Uh, okay, so let's get into spoiler stuff now. Um, so tune out right now if you haven't read it yet. Uh, if you have read it. Uh, let's start talking about it. So first of all, this was definitely the single greatest comic book ever written <laughs> uh, in somebody's mind. Sure. I'm sure somebody – well, <laughs> I, I, so so I usually avoid reviews, but generally when I have a negative opinion on something, I like to see what other people are thinking. Uh, yeah. So that's why I, I, I messaged a few people, spoke with them privately. Um, I I made a couple comments on our Facebook group at facebook.com slash group slash Valiant Central – uh, I made some comments, uh, but they were very vague uh, because obviously a lot of people don't get preview copies, and I didn't want to spoil anything. Um, and I actually ended up reading some reviews online because I was like, well, surely I'm wrong, right? Like, this can't be the worst comic ever because that was my first impression on first read. And uh, I'll, I'll get to why in a sec. And uh, I was like, it can't be the worst comic ever. Let me look at some reviews. So I looked at some reviews. Um, and there are some uh, people that generally do reviews and are uh, usually very positive. Um, and I was like, huh, those are pretty positive reviews. Maybe I'm wrong. So I talked to some people again. Some people had written some slightly negative reviews. I know I've been talking to somebody on Twitter uh, for a couple of days now. Um, he's got a review that's coming out today. I haven't read it yet. Um, I told him to send me a link when he posts it. Uh, but he was maybe even more negative than I was about it. And then um, Amy... Okamoto, at uh, she posted a her review of Harbinger Renegade number five at uh, All Comic, which by the way was ten times longer than the comic. Uh, at least there, uh, it there, was. There might have been more words in that or in that review than there have been uh, in every issue of Valiant published since 2012. I think so. Um, it was a very thorough review. I actually, I uh, I didn't read every word of it, but I I read through it all and kind of skimmed a few paragraphs and kind of read more thoroughly in other spots, but. It was a very good review, so I, I never read reviews, um, except for occasionally, like you said, if there's something that I I don't have any interest in or I don't like, but I think that there's something I'm missing, that's when I'll usually check out reviews a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I uh, I read it, and at first I was taken aback by how long it was, but I was like, you know what, Amy's a good writer. She has a very uh, very calm mind. You know, she's she's very thorough with her analysis. Um, and there's absolutely no spoilers in that review at all. Uh, matter of fact, I don't think there, there's even a mention of the, the death in this book. No, I think she mentioned that there's there's a death. And... Yeah, but it, but it was like a, like a one-liner. Like it, yeah, exactly. It, it, it gave absolutely no details. Yeah. So I, I believe it's uh, – I believe she said that she thought it lived up to – to the hype or something to that effect. She made some sort of comment on that, but it was something that said, it said nothing about what happened, didn't even hint at it. So I got to give her credit for that because a lot of times people think they're being clever and being subtle enough that people who haven't read it won't get it. But that's really hard to do because, you know, when we're all big fans of something, subtle hints is enough to give a lot away. So she did very, uh, very good to completely not give anything away on this. Yep. And so I, I, I don't frequent the big Facebook group as much anymore, the uh, Valiant Comic Fans group. Uh, so I don't know what the discussion has been there. But judging from Amy's article, 
there's been maybe some talk about the uh, political aspects of this book, which we'll get to later as well. Um, so I guess that's been a lot of the discussion. Uh, but, you know, what I like about Amy is she is very calm and collected. And her review kind of opened my mind to certain things that maybe I wasn't looking for. Um, and so that's why I feel like as we talk about this book today, I can be a little more positive than I would have been, you know, three, four days ago. So if you haven't read it, go check it out. It's at all-comic.com. Um, you can also get this podcast there whenever it comes out every week. My initial thoughts without before we get into the, the details, which I know we're going to dive into, is uh, on initial read, which is still the only read I've done, I wanted to try to reread it, but didn't have a chance to this morning. Um, I liked it. I like I I see some flaws in it, but I liked it. That was just my my initial impression. I thought that it uh it delivered on what was promised. Uh, even if like I think the real problem is that the promise was very overhyped. Um, but I I mean going into it, I knew it was overhyped, so I didn't raise my expectations to the hype basically because mm -hmm. when you know something is overhyped you have the ability to say, well, I don't really believe the hype. So that's what I did. So I went into it, and I enjoyed it. And I actually thought it delivered in a different way than I expected and delivered very strongly on what was promised. So um, Nick and I just uh, released an episode of uh, Nerd Legion. I think it's episode 106. And, God, you uh, and uh, about halfway through the episode, we had about like a 40, 45-minute chat about trolls and uh, comic book publishers and marketing. And uh, it ended By up trolls, being... of course, you're talking about the, uh, the DreamWorks cartoon? Yes, the greatest okay. movie ever created because <laughs> uh, it is fantastic. Go see Trolls. Sammy um, liked it. So what? How oh, he liked it? Yeah, 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 I watched it with Zoe a few times. It, it ended up being kind of a skit. Like uh, we we made fun of things as uh, we tried to explain uh, the situations, and uh, it, it kind of goes here as well. And, and I brought up this book without mentioning it by name um, because again, I was a little upset last week, Paul. You know, <clears throat> mm, excuse me. To me, it's still an issue that there's so much hype put behind this book. Um, and, and we talked about the way that this book has been marketed in, in, in episodes past recently uh, about the uh, when they published the script that it was all blacked out and then the, the preview pages and the covers and all this. Um, and, you know, Dinesh always says there's no such thing as bad marketing, right? And uh, they firmly believe that and I, I agree with them because the point has always been the more people you get talking about it, the more people will buy it. Now, it doesn't always translate directly to sales, but, you know, they hope it does. And I don't know how it's, well this... It's going to get it out there into the, the eyes and ears of people that otherwise wouldn't see it. Correct. So I don't know how well this book has sold. I'm sure we'll find out. Uh, what, what are we? It's going to be probably another month because we're halfway... Gallo, my month. official guess is 9 million copies. 9 million copies, huh? 9 million. Sold today already. And, you know, West Coast comic shops aren't even open, so it's just going <laughs> to go up from there. Uh, I'm going to say less than 15. And, uh, less than 15 million? Okay, that's pretty fair. Yeah, less than 15 million. <laughs> Dalla, you can uh, quote me on that. The problem is, and I think for, for the average fan, that kind of hype might work out. But again, the average Valiant fan is not your average comic fan. 
Um, and I think that's where the difference lies. Yeah, and see, that's where I think with this marketing, everybody was getting all bent out of shape about it, you included. Uh, and like my take on it was just, who cares? It, the marketing isn't for you and me. It's for other people. It's for people who otherwise would, wouldn't catch this stuff. You know, you and me talking about it gets it out there to more of those people. Um, but uh, all the marketing stuff for this, the, you know, that they did, I just never cared because, you know what, it's not for me. And for me to get bent out of shape of something that doesn't hurt me is just ridiculous. Yes. So, so I understand your point. However, I slightly disagree because while the marketing might be intended directly towards the, uh, the, the average comic book reader, um, it also has the, the side effect of directly marketing to the hardcore Valiant fan. Oh yeah, because, I definitely agree with that. Because I, now, I would say that was my that's how I approach that type of marketing. Yes. So that it doesn't affect me that way. Sure. It's like, okay, you work at a retail job where I'm guessing you always have music playing, right? Sure. How often is that music good? I don't listen to it, I don't know. Exactly. You block it. I, I don't hear music at work. I it doesn't sink into me because it's always there. I it just it, it I tune it out. I've been doing this job for, for thirteen years. I don't have to hear it. You know, so it, that's that's like how I approach the marketing. Uh, it's not going to have a positive effect on me because I don't need it. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, so the only effect it could have if I let it is a negative effect. And why would I let it? Mm-hmm. So I, I make that choice to not let it. And well, and so that's the, my approach. So the thing is that hardcore Valiant fans have a certain expectation of what things should be, and so when those things are not as they feel they should be, uh, things kind of go awry. Right. So a lot of, now that I'm thinking about this whole situation, a lot of the people that I've spoken with real tra- quick. Yes. I like rye. Great. Good for you. <laughs> you, you said you mentioned rice. So I just thought I would say that. Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> a lot of the people that have been truly upset about this book are valiant, hardcore people. And mm-hmm. a lot of the reviews that I've read are maybe uh, not quite as hardcore or haven't been around as long as some of the people that are upset. Uh, so th- that that's the key difference right now. Um, but if you are one of those people that feels like you hated this book, then please do me a favor and go reread the issue with fresh eyes. Forget all about the uh, the marketing, who dies, who doesn't die, blacked out scripts. Here's what you need covers. to do. Yes. Get some salt, throw it in your eyes. Yes. Feel horrible. Get some saline solution, some liquid tears, whatever. Rinse it out. Close your eyes for a while. Put a wet washcloth on. When you finally can see again... Read the comic again because you're going to be just be so happy you can see again and that the pain is finally gone. There you go. Man, it's going to be a, 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 just a sight for sore eyes. It's going to be fantastic. All <laughs> right, let's dive into this book. We're not going to talk about who dies yet. But overall, your impressions of the, the – I guess the, the structure of the story and the art and the, the uh, execution of it. So Derek Robertson's the artist, right? Yes. Okay, I want to make sure I got his name right. Um, I'm not a big fan of his art. Uh, it doesn't. I don't hate it either. So for the most part, it's just kind of it doesn't really add to the experience for me. Um, but occasionally, because I'm not a big fan of it, and I don't think that uh, that the, from especially from what other people have told me that have higher opinions of his art, is that this is not the best example of his art. Mm-hmm. Um, but there were some executions in the art that were not very good. 
Um, one in particular was one of the deaths who I won't mention who it was yet, but I, I'm sure you know exactly the panel I'm talking about. Um, it was the one that Travis actually sent you and said, what's going on here? Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, so that one, I knew what was going on. Like, it didn't confuse me as to what was going on, but it just, it was not clear art. It didn't look, uh, very, it just, it wasn't a good panel. I, I, that was one example that I think was the strongest example of just not very good art in that one panel. The rest was okay. Like, I, I mean, I don't think that the art was bad in the book. It just wasn't, wasn't spectacular. Um, he obviously has been the artist on Renegade, so I, you know, it's not like you're going to change it up for this one issue. Um, and obviously Valiant has some faith in him. Is, is he a name? Like, is he somebody that people see and say like, oh, that's Derek Robertson's art, so I'm going to get it. Oh yeah, he's been around a long time. Yeah. Okay, see, I don't always know these things. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, that makes sense. So I mean, he, he's not, if it was some of the Valiant art that I love more, it may have actually strengthened the issue. You know, if it was, um, see, I was going to say Miko and Lewis, uh, but, but that's not really fair, is it? it is, it's, it's not fair. And I mean, their, their art talent is so crazy that like, they have to be given like special time to, pre- that's why they only do like an arc at a time. And it's started way in advance because, you know, they're not, they're not the same type of artist as far as how they function doing it. That's why they have these like just super ridiculous covers that they do. And that's why they were primarily cover artists for Valiant for a long time, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's not fair. I was trying to think of somebody that's a little more, um, I don't know. I'm totally blanking. Like, I don't know. Clayton Crane, maybe. Or no, Clayton Henry. Um, it, his style's different. It wouldn't really work for this book, but, uh, Clayton Henry, uh, was one of the artists that I thought really, felt valiant to me when they started because he was the one doing uh exo a lot right yep yeah um so i don't know so i mean there are other artists that it may have like resonated a little bit better with me than um robertson but all in all it 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 wasn't bad but it didn't add anything to it to me as far as the writing goes um i think rafer is a is is a fine writer but a lot of what he's written i mean archer you know when he wrote ana it was a, a totally different take, and it wasn't the take that I wanted. So that didn't really help my reaction to it, because whether it was good or not, it wasn't what I wanted, so it was just okay to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I still enjoyed reading ANA, but uh, it was, you know, like I wanted what Fred Van Lenty did, and it wasn't what I got, and I had, you know, whatever. Uh, but it still has a, an effect on my overall enjoyment of it, because I wanted what came before. Um, that's an example where I'm a hardcore Valiant fan, so like that is going to color my opinion to some extent. Mm-hmm. The difference between me and some other people is I don't let it ruin my enjoyment of anything, but it's still going to affect it some. Um, now, with Renegade, I feel like his hand is getting uh, forced by uh, editorial a lot more, especially in this issue. Yes. I feel like it's a lot of, this is what you need to do. Um, I think some of Palmer's tone, like I liked a lot of the stuff that Amy had to say, where one of the things that was different about this issue is we weren't getting the shades of gray Palmer, because you know what, when you're leading an operation, you're not shades of gray, that gets you dead, you're there to do a job, and I think that's the Palmer we got, there was a line or two that felt like, um, like, you know, Dinesh was in Rafer's ear saying, write this line, he says this right here. It's great. Ha ha ha. For for our uh, listeners that that are wrestling fans, uh, you know, think of 
when you hear people talk about like Vince McMahon being in the ear of an announcer and then you get a shitty announcer like Michael Cole mm -hmm. because somebody's always telling him what to say and that fucks up your flow. Um, that's kind of what some of this book felt like to me, writing-wise. I don't think Rafer's a bad writer, but even Chris made the point that I don't think Rafer's been given a real fair shake because of who he had to follow on the two books that he's done. Yeah, um, yeah that's those, those are two tough acts to follow. Uh, you know, taking over from two of the core titles that started the launch of Valiant. And, you know, that's rough. So I look forward to see where this is going. I was very excited about this issue, and that had nothing to do with the hype because I ignored the hype. I've been looking forward to this issue coming out uh, since issue four happened. Um, so as far as, as writing and art, I don't think that those were strong points for the issue. Um, I think if they were strong points... This issue would have been great. Um, so, so there's something I want to say about the art, though. Um, and I, I think it's maybe unfair to Derek Robertson for reviewers to maybe criticize some of the art. <clears throat> and the reason I say that is uh, a lot of the reviews that are written for these books are based on uh, preview copies, preview PDFs. And the preview PDFs are always lower quality than what you get in a print copy. Um, you're usually reading them on a computer, so it's a much... Wait, yes. You mean he didn't draw the water stamp on there? <laughs> <laughs> no, Paul, that's the letterer. So, <laughs> that's, that's a very good point. Yeah, so it's going to look looser because you're on a much larger uh, screen than what you would have on a comic book. Uh, the art's going to look a little bit looser. The colors are going to be a little more muted. Um, on a printed page, I, the art always looks better. Yeah, and I will say for copy. my opinion on this, uh, I read the the first four issues of Renegade as physical copies, so I I know what my opinion of his art style is. And my only further criticism was a panel that those those things weren't a factor in it. Mm -hmm. It was just it was a an awkwardly drawn panel that was hard to read the action. So yes, and with that said, there are some awkwardly drawn panels, and there are some very awkward page layouts on here. Uh, so, for example, the, the image that Travis sent me that he and I talked about, um, obviously you and he talked about it as well, um, the, the layout of that page was very odd. Uh, and there's a couple other pages where the layout doesn't quite match the way that you would read it. Now, if you're reading this on like Comixology with Guided View, it might be fine because it'll guide you through the correct reading order. Uh, but reading it on a full page, um, it takes a little more work to figure some of these panel layouts out. Uh, for the most part, they are standard panel layouts, so don't get me wrong. Uh, but I think uh, in some of the scenes where it really would count to have very clear panel layouts, um, they can get a little jumbled sometimes. So you might read some of the text uh, out of order. Um, and again, it only happened in like two pages, I think, for me. Um, but just, yeah, it, it wasn't like overly prevalent in the book, but there were a few instances of it. Yes, 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 yes. So, and, and in terms of the story, I agree with you. You know, Palmer is a badass, right? And he's got a team to lead. And that's actually one of the key aspects of this issue. Um, like when he talks to Granite, he's like, because, you know, Granite's got kids, right? She's doing this for her kids because she's, she's dying and, you know, PRS is supposed to yeah, you know, when she dies, her kids are gonna be fine. Okay, so that's one of her motivations. Um, and so when they're on the plane before they're going to find the Gen Zero kids, he tells her, "Granted, remember these are not your children. Do you understand me?" Okay, 
because that's important, right? They're they're a team and they're there for a certain mission. But at the same time, like they're soldiers, but soldiers are people too, bro. You know what I mean? Soldiers got feelings. Okay, they're not all hardcore badasses. Not the soldiers I make. <laughs> Lego soldiers don't count, Paul. <laughs> um, and he, and he goes through through all the, the whole team that way. Um, now there are some. Uh, and I, I think that's actually that scene is an example of where people say, "Well, this tone doesn't feel right." But I I think that uh, Amy made the really good point that like this isn't this isn't the Gray Palmer. This is the black and white. The tone is different because they're getting ready to go in on a mission, and it's it's not about the the morals of the thing. It's this is a black and white thing. Mm-hmm. You know, when you think about the first introduction of Palmer, it was him showing up out of the blue and killing a bunch of kids that we had grown fond of in Harbinger War. Yep. Uh, and that does come up in this issue. Yeah, exactly. And and that's that's the Palmer that we're seeing here, except now we know him better. So we're saying, well, this isn't the Palmer that I know. Well, no, we've seen this Palmer before. This, you know, this just this is how he is when he does this. You know, the, the morals don't matter. And when you think about it, Palmer's just – he's a freaking mercenary for a corporation. Mm-hmm. Like, he is pretty despicable. You know, over time we've been given the grade where we can like Palmer. We can feel sympathetic to him. But when you just look at the black and white of what he does, like, whatever got him there, he made that choice. He's pretty despicable. Well, is he despicable, though? Cause... In that sense. I, I'm talking about that specific sense. He is a mercenary that works for a corporation and kills whoever the fuck they tell him to kill. Mm-hmm. That's that's what he does. Mm-hmm. That's that's despicable. There's no black and white about that. That's a despicable thing to do. Well, it, uh, It's not about right or wrong. Know. It's about money. Well, okay. okay. Yes, to some, to some extent. When um, you, I, but... I'm saying that perspective, that one thing. The overall view of... of who Palmer is as a person is different. That's where the gray comes in. And that's where then when we get the black and white Palmer, we're like, this doesn't feel right. Well, he's having to do the thing that conflicts with the other side of who he is. Sure. But I mean, that's, that's what a soldier would do, right? I mean, not every soldier that goes to war wants to be involved in that war. And I think that's one of the aspects that gets played upon with Palmer. Like, yeah, okay, so, yeah, so he's not but working. But he's, sold- he's a soldier by choice. You know, when we look at, uh, you know, real life and real history, do we give a pass for, uh, you know, for Nazis? Oh, no. That's no, a, because no, they did despicable things, and at some point, just being a soldier doesn't excuse those things. Sure. Um, P- Palmer, he's not He's not even a soldier. He's a, a mer- He's paid. Yes. You know, he's he's working well, I mean, for a corporation. Soldiers well, yeah, but he's he's not he's working for a corporation that has no interests other than profit. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you, you can't even like it takes away that element of he's just a soldier doing his duty. No, well, he's a no, he's but, a hired gun. But he does have a sense of duty. Yes, he does. Yeah, because and that comes he, from his military background too. He, like he, he was feels, a soldier. He's he a, feels a veteran. Like, he feels like these psyots are terrorists. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I understand he's getting paid by a corporation who's making money of this thing, but at the same time, he genuinely feels these kids are terrorists. We need to put them down. Yeah, and that that's an aspect in all of this too. And Amy pointed that out too. When you look at both sides, you know, the, the hardcore feels like this: the, these Sayat kids are terrorists. They know what the kids have done. And when you look at the black and white of that viewpoint, they're correct. These kids held people hostage. They've killed people. They're not wrong about that. When you look at the other viewpoint of 
you know, these kids were forced into this and then they got attacked by these hardcore goons and these, these hardcore goons killed, you know, their, their, their companions and all that. They're correct too. Amy made that point in her review. Like Amy made a lot of really good points in her review, but so there's two sides to this story. Both sides are right and wrong. Correct. Well, it's like when you talk about Harada, right? Like Harada might seem despicable, but he does have a right and a wrong side. Like what he's mm-hmm. trying to accomplish is genuine and to him, right. Uh, and you know, like if you read old X-Men books, like that's how Magneto was too, right? Yeah. Um, like it's, it's a lot of similarities between the two characters. I see Harada's a ripoff of Magneto. I oh, get it now. See, now we know. Uh, <laughs> Shame on you, Valiant. Yeah. And, and that's, um, that's where the shades of gray come in. Like every Valiant character has some shades of gray, um, because, their motivations aren't the sinister mustache-twirling villain motivations. Mm -hmm. There's more depth to it than that. And I think in this book where we're really... Like, this book is really focusing in on specifics. And that's where it can feel uncomfortable to us as a reader is we're not used to this... Like, getting this specific. We haven't seen this in a while in Valiant. Mm -hmm. You know, we've talked plenty before about... There's kind of been phases in Valiant. We had the phase with a heavy focus on faith. Uh, the Gen Zero book. Um, there's other instances in there too, but like Faith and Gen Zero, if you look at both of those, those were a departure from what we were really used to with Valiant. Mm-hmm. This is getting more back to the feel of what we started with. Right. The, the beginning of Valiant was much more... Like we weren't... The, the character building was able to start with more black and white stuff because we were starting from ground zero. We were starting from scratch. Um, but then over time, you can't keep being so black and white. Like, you get into the shades of gray with the characters, and that's how you continue to develop characters. Mm-hmm. But now we're getting – this is a conflict that's getting us back to the black and white with stuff. Yeah. Truth. So uh, are we going to get into the deaths yet? Do you have yeah, a list of the deaths? I don't have a list of the deaths, but we'll oh, – we'll, you're we'll terrible. I told you. I told you in my head to make a list of the deaths so we could go over them in order. Well, I'm still working on my uh, my psychic abilities, okay? There's there, <sighs> there's, there's a there's a, a dampener bomb in my house. Yeah. Can't help that. It's so, called wine. <laughs> not this early in the morning. <laughs> I'm still drinking coffee, bro. Um, Me too. So, so there are a few deaths uh, on both sides. By the way, this is Harbinger Renegades, but the Renegades don't show up in this book. Okay. By the way, this is not Harbinger Renegades. This is Harbinger Renegade. Renegade. Yes, my bad. And the Renegade is Solomon. So everybody that keeps saying that, you're wrong. You're flat out fucking wrong. Pull your head out of your ass. We've actually talked about this shit before, too. Yes, 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 yes. All right. Anyways. Well, and, and in this book, I mean, the the Gen Zero kids are the renegades anyway, um, because that's that's pretty much what makes the hardcore show up and try to kill them all. Uh, they've, yeah, they've and... supposedly taken over the city. Uh, what is it? Is it Chicago? I can't remember now. It's Rook. Well, that's what they write on the freaking thing. No, that's oh, the name of the town is Rook. Detroit. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Didn't you read Gen Zero? It was like twelve boring issues, but <laughs> it, it was okay. Like I, I enjoyed reading Gen Zero. I don't think it was the greatest, but it was. It, I enjoyed the read. No, 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 I got confused because uh, when the book starts, there's the uh, the highway sign to Detroit, and then it says Rook right underneath it. You're right. You're right. You're right. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So, so the Gen Zero kids are in this town, and PRS is coming to get them out of there. Okay. So things I like about this: number one, this isn't Gen Zero. But it's tied directly into what happened in Gen Zero from a different viewpoint. Everybody's been complaining about the lack of connectivity in the Valiant universe. That's connectivity. It this is. is reintroducing hardcore uh, 
in a very solid way. Like it, there's a specific reason for them coming back. It very solid. So we're, we're in in a book that is not a hardcore book that is not a Gen Zero book. We've just tied together three components of the Valiant universe. Mm-hmm. Now we didn't see the components of the Renegade title that we've seen so far, which would be the original Renegades or Solomon, who we we he's mentioned in the end of the book. Correct. So this book is definitely a transition, a setup to what's coming next. But um, if you're judging the story based on the fact that this is just one piece of it, that's kind of silly too. So everybody's saying, "Well, blah blah blah, we didn't get this. This is the first part of the story." We often get this in comics, and this is a, a good way to set stuff up. Um, so, like that, I, I thought this book was a very good setup to what is coming. And of course, now the the real tell of whether this was really good or not is going to be how it fleshes out over the next few issues. Correct. There are quite a few deaths, by the way, on both sides. Uh, the first one to go is Bagavond. Uh, sorry, Jake. I think that's Jake, right? He's Bagavond. Yeah, except it's Vagabonds, uh, not Vagabonds. Yeah, you know what I mean. <laughs> he, he's the first to go. He's uh, he's killed by Animalia dressed up as – or not dressed up, projecting uh, Cthulhu monster. Yeah, so awesome. how did he die? He gets squished by the Cthulhu monster. <laughs> I honestly – okay, the, the way the deaths happen in this book vary too, and I really liked it because uh, if you're having an all-out war, like – and you're somebody's trying to kill you, and you're trying to kill them. You're going to kill them any way that you can. Animalia does these projections. If she's a giant monster and she grabs you, what is she going to do? She's going to squish. I even like that it was a little like silly cartoonish with the squish because that's what she is when she projects this cartoon. So it's not like a splorch, I, I, it's a splorch. Okay, splorch is even better. <laughs> um, yeah, so I mean, and that was right off the bat. So. One of the things that have been a complaint, and I disagree with this complaint, um, but this is – it's subjective. It's based on people's opinions, um, is that there wasn't a major character killed. Now, Vagabond, you could say he's not a major character. That's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, he's substantial enough. He's not a – you know, uh, my cousin Mike is a big G.I. Joe fan. He talked about when they started finally killing in G.I. Joe, they would just like make up characters and kill them right away. Yes. He's not that. We know who Vagabond is. We've seen him over many issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, we saw him in the when his bloodshot and hardcore, and they went after Big Boy and his group, basically talking somebody into killing themselves. Yep. Well, I mean, they, I guess he pulled the trigger or whatever, but he, he talked him into giving up and dying. So we've gotten to know Vagabond enough that this isn't just a throwaway death either. But it starts it right off with not the biggest name guy there and unceremoniously killed. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the other complaints I've heard from some people is that uh, the deaths feel like like there's not the build-up to them and stuff. I loved that factor because, you know what? If you're in a war with somebody, they don't build up to the death scene. Right. You just fucking die. Right. And that's what happened in this. Yep. Um, so right off the bat, they throw you off your guard like, holy shit. Mm-hmm. Like. It just started. He just died. Now, at that point, are people thinking like, "Is is that is that the death? Is that the end of the death?" You know, um, not when, even close. When they had death, uh, death of a renegade, and they killed uh, Charlene, um, they did it well in that regard. Also, where it wasn't a big buildup, and the, then that wasn't the coup de gras of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, it was in the midst of stuff. It was like this, where it happens in the course of actions. But with that one, it was really focusing on on that one death. Mm-hmm. And so I think with this, they kept on saying there's going to be a death. Well, 
they, they really got us off our guard, didn't they? Yeah, there's, that, there's a lot of now that. that for all that people are complaining about stuff, that is successful storytelling. And Amy pointed this out too. I'm gonna. Amy has a ton of props because a lot of the stuff I thought she wrote them at, like she articulated them even better than I could, and uh, and also drew other stuff to my attention. So mad props to you, Amy, for for your review. Um, they they kept us off our guard, and that is really hard to do nowadays. Mm-hmm. Um, and I honestly I think that's part of the reason why some people have a problem with some of this stuff is as much as people want to be surprised they also some people don't mm-hmm. you know they, even if they say they do nope no they, well this isn't what i expected well if everything is what you expected then what is it fun to read comic right. books right. if you expect everything you know so so that's the first death what's the next death uh the next death is after the uh hardcore plane lands or well crashes really um they go after uh, or granite goes after animalia she gets animalia who is no longer in her uh Cthulhu form because Palmer blew up the uh, the Syed bomb, mm-hmm. um, that the giant egg, and uh, so nobody has their powers except of mm-hmm. course the hardcore because uh, they do it through the implant. And she tells Palmer that she has captured Animalia um, and tells him where they're at so that she can get picked up. And of course, this is a callback to the beginning of the issue because Palmer tells him, "Remember, these are not your kids; these are terrorists." And of course, Animalia breaks out immediately. And slashes Granite's throat. She's dead. Wrapped in plastic. So, second death, still Animalia doing the killing, right? Yep. But it's easier to separate the the person from the killing when it's done in a distanced sort of way. And Animalia using her projection is making it like, oh, this cartoon Cthulhu just squished a vagabond. Mm-hmm. Well, now this little girl just just stabbed this woman in the throat. Yep. So now you have to be a lot more confronted with who and what Animalia really is. So we went through this. Um, was it twelve issues or was it fourteen issues? How many issues was uh, Gen Zero? Uh, it was twelve, right? It was less than twelve, I thought. A lot, uh, whatever. However many issues it was, we went through three arcs basically of Gen Zero that really made this group feel a lot more like kids, didn't it? Mm-hmm. And a lot of people had a problem with that. No, they're this this hardcore, you know, they're they're soldiers. This is what you know, they were raised to be soldiers, now they're acting like kids. This doesn't look like a kid, does it? Like now you're I, I think this is making Animalia feel a lot more like what people have been saying they've they want. Mm-hmm. Animalia, this sweet little girl, Monica Jim, has murdered two people. Mm-hmm. So what's next? Well, next up, we have the uh, confrontation of Palmer and uh, Cronus, which comes into play a little bit later. Um, what I liked about this, though, is it, it, it's set up to remind you how quickly all this is happening, right? Uh, this is a, a surgical strike on the Gen Zero kids. So the, the whole mission is supposed to last less than a minute, okay? The, hard, the hardcore drop in, blow up the bomb, the kids lose their powers, they get them all, go away, Okay. And and you get you get the countdown timer a couple times because um, Palmer's talking to Lifeline to make sure that they're they're having the correct abilities to fight these kids, um, which I find really interesting because even without their powers, the Gen Zero kids are pretty vicious. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that that's important. Um, I I want to know what the Telek sequence is because Telek attacks Palmer uh, when he confronts Cronus and he calls for Lifeline to drop the Telek sequence, but we never see it because he gets his ass kicked uh, by Telek. 
So well, so uh, let's actually touch on that for just a second. So I I liked that. Um, I like with like it showed a lot of what hardcore is and what I like about hardcore. So their abilities are manufactured abilities. They're not you know gifts, you know, natural gifts like the psyots. Mm-hmm. Um, but they essentially are like psyot abilities, but there's limitations to them. So they have to strategically plan these out, and when they're going into a battle, they know what their you know who their enemy is. So they're able to actually, you know, like there was the, even with Bloodshot, there was the Harada Protocol, mm-hmm. um, you know, different stuff like that. So the Telic sequence, we know that she can see what's coming, right? Like she she knows everything that's going to happen, basically. Mm-hmm. So when she attacks you, she knows what you're going to do, so she can always be one step ahead of you. Yep. So the Telic sequence, like, it's, you know, it's nice to have something like this that we can, like, discuss, like, what could this be? Like, I imagined it to be something like uh, bouncing between shields and neural spikes or something like that to be able to like defend against her and get her off guard to the point where you get the upper hand Mm -hmm. and then she would be you know it's like once you get the upper hand on her she's just a girl you know she's just a a human if you keep her from being ahead of you so Mm -hmm. well I'm, i'm wondering if maybe the telex sequence is just like a simulation to kind of emulate her powers um, because I, I don't know if, if the hardcore can emulate this particular ability. I mean, we've never seen it before, but we've also never seen it used outside of Telic. Um, yeah, and, I, and that's I, why I think it would be more of like a, a defense protocol that like defends right. who sets you up for the attack. Yep. And, I mean, just like Palmer always says, uh, you know, the powers are for defense, guns are for attacking. So we get the final showdown after uh, they, they knock Palmer out. Telex says he's playing possum, and there's another one. And, of course, this is when we get what I would say is the major death. No, God! Uh, Cronus' head gets blown up. No, Quite God, graphically. please, no! No! Mm-hmm. I'm surprised you weren't upset by this, Paul. You usually don't like the uh, the really graphic stuff. Well, no, see, and that's where people take stuff I say, and then they try to boil it down to, like, one little thought. Um, I don't like overly graphic stuff that's gratuitous, that's for no reason. This is like very tight into the story um you know if the whole book was gore and eyeballs flying and shit like that like then it may be like i I don't really like this even if the story is good like it can be excessive to the point that even if it fits in the story it would still ruin it for me but with this the occasional death um like every time anything involves uh, a female character now people like oh paul's not gonna like it no i i don't like the uh when you do something gratuitously, it's um, what's the word? Uh, you're getting the the reaction based on exploiting the thing, whether it be violence, whether it be sex, whether it be uh, you know anything. Like we actually on the last episode we talked about this, and that was essentially what my problem was with that subject that we talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, so in this case, it's not exploiting that. This is getting the shock in the moment because what is happening is shocking. But it's not like then Palmer picks up an eyeball and eats it or something like that, you know? <laughs> so it's uh, th- there's a balance with all things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, so Cronus is dead. R.I.P. Faith killed him. That Faith. <laughs> I'm just kidding. So pa- Palmer kills Cronus. So this, like you said, I think this was the the biggest character that died. Mm -hmm. So when people argue that there wasn't a major character that died, um, there's so many different ways that I can disagree with that. 
based on what those people think about other stuff. Uh, if you like Gen Zero, okay, Cronus was a major character then. He was the leader in that book. Yep. Uh, if you liked Harbinger War and you liked the Gen Zero kids and what they could have been, Cronus was the freaking leader of the of the team. Like, whatever angle of Valiant you like, if you're saying that Cronus isn't a major character, then, like, all you're saying, that's, that's saying that unless it's a superstar that's dying, it doesn't matter. You know, I mean, when we had the death of a renegade, was Charlene the most major character in the group? Right. Like, I mean, that's basically like saying the only way a death of a renegade is going to matter is if it's Pete. Right. Because he's he's the biggest character. Who's the biggest character in this book? Palmer. So the only way that with the, the lineup of characters we have that it can matter to you is if it was Palmer. Well, don't you want to see more stories about Palmer? Like... I think they got other stuff planned for Palmer. You may have wanted to see more for Cronus. If you wanted to see more for Cronus, then I guess it paid off for you. So I just think any way that people argue that there wasn't a major character that died in this book is just absolutely saying it wasn't as exciting as I wanted it to be. It wasn't the character I wanted to die. Well, and so and so I was one of those people, even though, you know, I really love Gen Zero um, and just feel like they weren't used correctly in the past couple of stories. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing was, I think I think it goes back to that expectation, right? So this being Harbinger Renegade and based on what we saw in the first arc, I think a lot of people, and, and I've seen this in, in Facebook comments and on Twitter, a lot of people were expecting an actual Renegade to die. So uh, Usually Chris is the answer that I saw. Um, and of course that's not the case because they're not even in this book, right? So so I totally get that. But you're right. Cronus is a big deal. He was a big part of the first Harbinger Wars, he he's always been a big deal with the Harbinger kids themselves. I mean, he's the one that got him out of the the whole mess, right? And he's been leading them the whole time, uh, trying to get them to balance their life as you know being trained as soldiers, but also remembering that they're kids. Um, that's always been an aspect that was played upon with them. Uh, yeah, he's been wanting them to get back to actually being able to have a, a life. Yes. Um, so, and here is also where cronus dying changes the landscape of the valiant universe in a permanent way with him dying there is no status quo for gen zero Mm -hmm. we do palmer still being alive hardcore even changing the you know the members under palmer you still got the same leader it's still you know it can still follow a similar course um cronus dying it doesn't matter how big of a character you think he is in the group of Gen Zero or whatever. Like, I think Monica Jim is the biggest character in that group because right. uh, she's been developed the most um, and has a lot of potential. But with Cronus dying, that that group is now fragmented. What are they going to end up doing? And these are these are kids with serious powers. We saw Monica Jim kill two highly trained adults already. Mm-hmm. This book has a huge impact on the Valiant universe. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's you know, one of the other arguments I saw of why this wasn't good. I, I, I see this book as we're getting so many of the things that we've been begging for. Interconnectivity between the Valiant universe. Uh, major events happening that have an impact on the Valiant universe. We got major character deaths in this. I think they over-delivered on a lot of stuff, but people expected specific things and didn't get those specific things. But that also ties into what I said earlier, where you should want to be surprised. Like, you should read a comic book and be surprised by what happens, not say, oh, that's what I expected, and they did it well. Let's see. So the next one up, Gamut. Uh, this was – well, uh, to, to go with that point too, by the way, this now makes Cronus a martyr for the cause. 
mm-hmm. right? For for all Sayats, not just Gen Zero, but of yeah, course, this is gonna being, led, being, being led by Gen Zero. That's a good point, too, because not only is Gen Zero now going to be different, what are those kids going to do? Uh, but this is going to – people that were staying neutral before are no longer going to be neutral. Right. All right, so as uh, as some of the Saiyan kids are running off from the hardcore, uh, Gamut steps up. Now, let me ask you, because I, I don't remember this. Um, was Gamut the one um, that was pregnant with the, the Saiyan baby? That she doesn't have actual powers. The Syed baby is Gamut. She the, the baby didn't want to come out of the mother. Oh, the mother right. was killed. Yep, yep, yep. And so the mother is basically a puppet for the fetus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. And it's creepy and weird, and I don't really mind that Gamut died. <laughs> oh, man. But uh, in, in a very interesting way, right? Mm-hmm. Because Gamut tries to save the, the Zygos twins and some of the other kids, and takes control of Worm, one of the hardcore, uh, the one that's been the most hardcore about killing these kids, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you were talking about Palmer, at least Palmer had some gray moral uh, sense. Yeah, uh, there's there's a difference doesn't. between the duty of this is Palmer's job and and uh, he also feels it's the right thing because he feels these kids are terrorists and Worm reveling in killing. It's a different thing. Yep. Anyway, so Gamut is killed. R.I.P. Gamut. Uh, the Zygot twins go uh, and they kill Worm. Uh, like, they blow his face up. Uh, until uh, Palmer shows up and... Oh, no, it's not Palmer. Uh, who, who's the, who's this other one? Damn, I, I don't even know his name. Anyways, the the other hardcore that was with Worm, he uh, he blasts them away. Uh, blasts the Zygos twins away. I don't believe they're dead, though. I think they're just knocked unconscious. Mm-hmm. So now we have the the big fight between Telic and uh, Palmer, and now the, the Telic sequence has kicked in. Palmer grabs a hold of Telic and snaps her neck. R.I.P. Telic. Yeah, and I think that one was also, and that's the one where the the panel was uh, not the best art. Um, but I thought that 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 panel said a lot about a lot of things too. Mm-hmm. So. It showed a lot about the outrage of the Gen Zero kids that Telic is caught. Yep. You know, I mean, she, she, she's caught. She's at his mercy, but she would rather die trying to still fight than submit. Mm-hmm. And it also shows that Palmer, even with her under control, he basically says like, "Stop, or I'm going to kill you," and then he kills her. Yep. So you know, like I said with uh, Animalia, the the projection killing vagabond is very different than her stabbing uh granite in the throat mm-hmm. it that really shows her ruthlessness and her willingness to do whatever it takes yep. and i think that this is showing that with palmer it's one thing to to use powers and guns to kill it's another thing to to hold a 17 year old in your hands and snap her neck all right, so after that, uh, here we go. A disciple is his name, and he actually does capture the Zygos twins. They're not dead. Uh, but we do get a recap of uh, the hardcore that died, Vagabond, Worm, and Granite. And, you know, Palmer's kind of like, well, shit. You know, I told them to stick with the plan, and they would make it out alive. Uh, and then, of course, we get the, uh, the the nice dialogue here. They knew the risk when they joined the hardcore major. We all did. But these kids, Major, they're kids. What choice did they ever have? Uh, and that really ultimately goes back to the point that you made at the beginning of this, this discussion. 
is that these are kids and they're kind of being hunted, you know? So you, you need to look at it in both ways. Okay. It's, it's, it's very gray. There's no black and white here. Um, even though the hardcore needs to operate in black and white. Um, and then most importantly, the remaining Gen Zero kids have been recording and live streaming this whole battle. Uh, so obviously everybody knows what the hardcore did. Um, and this is surely going to set up what comes in the next few issues. Um, by the way, the, that last panel, before we get to the, the reveal at the end, uh, with Animalia flying off as a, a dove crying, that was, uh, that was pretty sweet. Mm-hmm. Pretty sweet. All right. Final pages. We, mm-hmm. we learned that, uh, PRS is kind of, uh, done. Omen Industry or Omen Enterprises is the new uh, the new big bad. Well, we already knew that though. I mean, that stemmed from uh, Bloodshot USA, which once again a book that you weren't a fan of. Yes. And you can easily cast it aside as being, you know, just a, you know, an easy story. That book brought about the end of PRS. Yes. So yes. this is, I mean, we, we knew this. This isn't anything we didn't know. Sure. But this this does set things up a little bit differently, I think. This gets the, the story rolling, like, yes. whereas before, like, you know, kind of secretively, it was, PRS is over, now we're Omen. Um, this is actually like, okay, now we're actually seeing them start to function and make stuff move. Mm-hmm. And for, for those that read uh, Valiant back in the day, Omen is the one that created uh, the, the technology that the hardcore used. So they, they've always been a big player with the hardcore and bloodshot and all that. So uh, that's, a, that's a nice callback for older fans. And of course, they're they're updated a little bit, but uh, you know, there's still similarities. Um, by the way, there's a very political thing here, a very political panel in this in this sequence, where uh, the guy that that runs the general that runs uh, Omen, he shows Palmer his phone with a tweet from Donald Trump. Make America great again. Great work by U.S. forces freeing Rook from terrorists. Strong leadership matters. Good day for America. Very Trumpian. I thought that was interesting. Uh, I wasn't expecting that when I when I read it. Um, but I, I do keep up with uh, what our fine president says. Quote, unquote, fine. Um, and uh, it, it's written in, in exactly the way that he would write things. So good job on that, Rafer. Uh, I'm sure some people will be upset by the fact that uh, Trump is in here. And to be honest, I, I actually l- prefer when there's not real-life people in a book because that kind of dates the material. Uh, but at the same time, with the, the politically charged atmosphere that we have uh, nowadays, I, I really didn't mind it. Yeah, and I think it was something that it, like people are going to have a reaction to it because everybody is pretty charged on one side or the other politically. You know, if you like, think about how it's going to look in a decade, like it's going to be like, people will know who Trump was and like the, the feelings will be less right now in the moment. So people, you know, it's going to look, you're going to look back on it and be like, well, that's just, it's just adding a little character to the book, but it's not really a, like any kind of politically charged statement. People are going to add some political charge to it now because everybody that wants to, push how they feel politically looks for any anything they can grasp onto to say well look at this mm-hmm. but i read it I, I thought it added some character but beyond that i don't think it's there to make a political statement um sure. and i don't care one way or the other if it 
you know, if anybody not, can yeah. otherwise, basically. Yep. Uh, so now we know what the next mission is going to be. So Palmer is uh, tasked with the uh, job of finding Solomon. Uh, and, of course, he's like, I don't have anybody. And like, all my dudes are killed. I need I need a couple dudes. And uh, Omen says, no problem. You're going to get a dozen new hardcore. So that's that's exciting. I know Chris is going to be happy because now he's <laughs> going to have some new hardcore names for the hardcats. Um, and, of course, that'll set up to see what uh, what, what happens next. But uh, there's, a, there's a lot in this issue, you know. Um, I think if you, uh, if you really take the time to think about what happens here, uh, it's, it's, it's a lot better than, uh, than I could have hoped for. Yeah, there, there's just there's so much. So much that happens here, so much that it sets up. Um, this sets the, the tone for the next arc of Renegade, obviously, but I think this did a lot to set the tone going into Harbinger Wars 2, yep. which is still a ways off. Um, as I said, we had the period of Valiant where we had a lot of faith and a lot of Gen Zero and a lot less killing and a lot more you know, happy little bows and stuff like that. Um, and I think this really, I mean, going into the first Harbinger War, that was the tone of the of, of everything was a lot more abrupt. And this is like, you know, stuff happening in the flow of things and like nothing being held back. And I think this really sets the tone for that. Um, now we, we see what hardcore is capable of. Um, we're going to get new... Uh, hardcore members. The last group of hardcore members was some real, you know, scraping the bottom of the barrel for people. So, I mean, what are we going to get next? Um, they've had some time. I think they've had time to, like, instead of finding people that are so desperate and throwing some powers on them and throwing them out there, mm-hmm. you know, what, what are we going to get with the next group of hardcore members? And we're getting 12 hardcore members. That's, that's a lot more hardcore members. It's a lot more firepower for them. Yep. They're going after Solomon, who you know, we've got introduced to in the first arc of Renegade, um, but it's not like we've really seen him head-to-head against major things. So, who you know, who knows what that'll bring. Uh, Gen Zero has been destroyed, um, but now we got some members of Gen Zero that have a lot of motivation to, to get revenge, and we've seen them be able to be very vicious. And those Zygos twins, man, they're freaky. They are um, who knows what they're really capable of, because all we have seen so far is them being reined in. Mm-hmm. So now we have the Zygos twins without anybody convincing them to hold back. So there's there's so much stuff that's going to come from this, um, and you know the there were definitely things in the issue that I could say like yeah this could have you know writing art like it could have been something a little bit more pleasing to me, but um, when you look at the whole picture of everything, it's you know it was solid art solid writing and with so much story happening Mm -hmm. so many things happening so you take a step back and look at that not just the you know that surface impression of everything Mm -hmm. um and you know honestly i think that a lot of like anybody who when they really take a look at this and think about it that they're still gonna sit back and say this is a piece of shit they're the people are well it was it wasn't dice art writing it so it's a piece (laughs) of shit they're never gonna feel otherwise um and you know if that's how they want to feel, whatever you know, you they, they got to make a decision now. Are they going to keep reading Valiant, or are they going to say that it's not good because it's not exactly explicitly specifically what they wanted? And then okay, see you later. Mm-hmm. Um, I think most people are are gonna find a balance. 
Dicehart's already talked about uh, working on new things coming in the future with Valiant, right? Yep. So, I mean, we don't know what those things are or when they're coming yet, but it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense to me to take your ball and go home uh, right now. You know, find the positive and stuff. Agreed. There's a lot of good about this issue. Agreed. And ultimately, if, if you're... This is what bothered me about people's initial reactions is I just wanted to read this and enjoy it and uh, get what I could out of it. I'm a Valiant fan. I want to enjoy this stuff. I don't understand people that I'm a Valiant fan, but I'm going to find every reason I can not to enjoy this. Mm-hmm. And I see that in other things, too. Um, you know, we have friends who are wrestling fans who do a wrestling podcast, no less. And it gets tiresome when they're always like, everything about this is horrible. You know, the the WWE pay-per-view is coming up. This is going to be terrible. It's going to be horrible. Why? Why do you, like, why do you even watch it? Like, what, like, what, if there's going to be nothing good about it, just stop. I mean, <laughs> I just, I, I don't get it when that's the reaction. I love wrestling, so I'm going to sit here and talk about how horrible this is. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's the same thing with, with, you know, how Valiant fans have reacted to so many things. Um, you know, before we talked about focusing on the positivity, I talked about orange chicken and people take that and they twist it into, oh, well, you know, you just say that we should just like anything. No. If you're a Valiant fan, be a Valiant fan and look for the good stuff in what you're reading. Mm-hmm. And if you don't like any of it, then maybe you're not a, a Valiant fan anymore. You know, maybe it's changed out from under you. Uh, maybe you've changed. That stuff happens. But if you're a fan, like, don't sit there and, and say why everything's bad. Look at what's good. You know? Mm-hmm. I, I'm a huge Ninja Turtle fan. Uh, the Ninja Turtle comics that are coming out, I like them a lot. I think they're solid. Um, but there's flaws with them. There's stuff that I wish was different. But if all I did was sit back and say, well, this art should be more like this. Um, well, I'm not, like, I'm not going to enjoy that. I might as well just stop. You know? But no, I look for what there is to enjoy, and I get the most enjoyment out of it. I think that's it. Let's wrap this up. Yeah. Go read Harbinger number five. Well, hopefully they already have. <laughs> well, hopefully, if you're still listening, you've already read the book. <sighs> if not, that's cool. You've been spoiled. Congratulations. Uh, let's see. What do we have? Paul's at Who's Paul on Twitter. I'm at Geekvine. The show is at Valiant underscore Central. Facebook.com slash groups slash Valiant Central is the group. Um... I want to plug uh, plug the new show, man. Jay, Jay and Dennis, who often record with Paul on Comics in Black and White, have their own podcast. They've branched off from the shackles of Paul to do the uh, the Best of the Rest podcast, which they're talking about just indie stuff and, and very indie stuff. As usual, I have birthed another great podcast. Oh, uh, here we go. Well, to be fair, the last one that I birthed, they really ran it into the ground after I left, but, you know. <laughs> What are you going to do when your uh, material is DC Comics? Uh, yes. So you can find that at nerdlegion.com slash podcast slash B as in boy, O as in oh my, T as in Tom, and R as in er. I don't know. Uh, I, I, the first episode's out. It's really good. Um, I'm looking forward to the next one. I know they just recorded last night. Um, let's see. Paul reminded me yesterday or this morning to remind you all that there is a contest. I don't remember what the rules are, but next episode we will be live streaming this. Oh, I think that's what it is, right? You need to you need to participate in the live stream and comment to uh, be entered. Is that what it is? 
Yeah, exactly. So we're going to do a live episode of the podcast, which we've done before. Uh, we need to make sure also, Martin, that we plan it ahead of time and know when we're doing it. And that way we can tell people that we're doing it so they can be prepared to join us. Uh, but Dennis, uh, from Best of the Rest, as a matter of fact, he is going to give away a copy of the VH1 Exo Man of War number one to somebody. All you have to do is be a part of the live podcast and make a comment. Doesn't matter what you comment. Yeah, it's so easy to do. So you're just participating with us live, just being there, um, and then just make a comment, any kind of comment. Um, And we'll take the list of names, and and, uh, Dennis will pick a winner, or we'll pick one out of a hat, and Dennis will be uh, rewarding you with an EXO Man of War number one. Great. So easy, easy way to win a prize. Uh, We'll definitely be doing it in the evening um my guess ahead of time is that it'll probably be 10 p.m east coast time uh to make sure that we can do it without interruption yep and probably like tuesday or wednesday is when we generally record so um i guess once we nail that down I'll, i'll make a post on facebook and twitter so people know yeah we'll definitely need to advertise it so people can know and join yes all right that's gonna be it this has been episode 134 we have talked more valiant than we've talked in the last several episodes uh but we are both excited for this book i hope you all are as well and uh think about what you say before you say it in public